What's up, you guys? I'm Haley. And I'm Andrea. And this is Inhuman, a true crime podcast. Okay, we are just going to get right into it today. I do want to remind you that if you want more content from us, check out our Patreon. We just dropped new Patreon content. So um, there's bonus episodes every month. And on the second tier, there's video bonus episodes. So if you guys want more content, be sure to check that out. It'll be linked in the show notes. Yes. <laughs> so today we are going to be covering the Halloween night murder of Luis Andres Colmenares in Villanueva, Colombia. Ooh, that was good. <laughs> Thank you. I apologize in advance for everything I'm going to say wrong. Um, I took Spanish for four years in high school, but that was many moons ago. And that was like, <laughs> what, eight years ago that I had the last year of it. Mm-hmm. And I have barely spoken Spanish since, even though my husband is fluent in Spanish, we still <laughs> rarely speak Spanish and my accent is horrible. So I just want to apologize in advance. I'm going to do my best, but I know I am not going to be perfect. So I apologize. Well, doing your best. That's all that we can expect from anyone. So thank you. Yes. And this was suggested by our listen- a listener named Cami A. So thank you so much for the suggestion. Yes. Thank you. You may have heard the name Luis Andres Comanares Comanares before. Um, If you watched the Netflix show uh, in English, Crime Diaries, A Night Out. Now, when I first started researching this case, I was like, oh, I've seen that show. I've never watched it, but I'm going to watch it after I do my like article research. But as I was doing my article research, I learned that the Netflix show is not a full documentary or docuseries. It is like basically quote unquote inspired by real events oh so it's a drama so yes Uh. i ended up not watching it because (laughs) i didn't want to be swayed by you know a dramatization Mm -hmm. of the show um so i probably will watch it now that i'm done with my research and doing the episode but i just wanted to mention that because i really went into it thinking that this was like a docuseries about this case and was going to have all accurate information but it sounds like it's definitely swayed one way and I think that it's important to not get pulled that way by dramatizations and things like that. Agreed. So with that, let's get into it. October 30th, 2010 was a Saturday night. And interestingly, if you listened to my episode last week, this is the same year that that Halloween murder took place. So I just thought that was really interesting that I picked two Halloween murder cases and they both happened to be the same year. So yeah, I just found that a little bit eerie, but we're on October 30th, 2010, a Saturday night, the night before Halloween, and 20-year-old Luis went to a costume party at a nightclub in Bogota, Colombia. He was with his date, a girl named Laura Moreno, and he was also with a group of friends, and one other friend that was named was Jesse Quintero, but there were also several other friends and classmates with them. Okay. Luis and Laura were both students at the University of Los Andes, which was a prestigious school in Colombia or is a prestigious school in Colombia. And Luis was romantically interested in Laura, 
and they were going to the club that night as like dates. And this club was in the famous or is in the famous party district of Bogota called Zona Tay. T, but Tay. Okay. So the three and all of their friends spent the night partying at the club and they left around 3.15 a.m., which is now October 31st. And according to Laura and Jesse, Luis was anxious after leaving the party and he walked away from the group after they exited the club. Laura and Jesse followed him, at which point he told them that he was hungry. So the three of them decided to go get something to eat while the rest of the group went to pick up Laura's car from the parking lot at the club. So Laura, Jesse, and Luis were at a hot dog stand waiting for the food that Luis had purchased. And that's when, according to Laura and Jesse, Luis, quote, started to run like crazy towards El Vere Park. Now, this park was about 10, a 10 minute, you know, walking distance. So it wasn't far from the hot dog stand. And Laura and Jesse had no clue why he just took up to took off running. So Jesse decided to wait for the rest of the group while Laura followed Luis. And according to her, throughout the run to the park, she tried to stop him several times. But he eventually made it to the park and he jumped into a drainage ditch at the park. And that's when Laura lost him. Jesse was picked up by their friends in Laura's car, and that's when she called Luis's cell phone to try to find him. But Laura picked up the phone because I think Luis had dropped it, and Laura was frantically saying, Luis jumped into the water channel, and I can't see him anymore. I don't know where he went. Okay. According to Luis's friends, they all met up with Laura at the park and began searching for him immediately. They searched for a couple of hours, but after not being able to find him anywhere in the park, they decided to head to the local police station to report what had happened. Jesse also called Luis's brother to tell him what had happened, and he then told their mom, Oneda Escobar. So she first checked at local hospitals and police stations, and then she went to that park around 6 a.m. to begin her search of the park. And thankfully, not long after this, an exhaustive search of the park by police and firemen began. So it didn't take very long for a full, proper search to happen. So they were searching the park and any surrounding areas. And this search lasted throughout the entire day of Halloween. But by 6 p.m., when no sign of Luis had been found, they basically had to call it off. That is so crazy because he was just like right there. Mm-hmm. And then he and just then disappeared. Just disappeared. That's so insane. And no one could find him. Wow. Yeah. And before they ended that initial search, Luis's mom begged the searchers to look under the drift that Laura had claimed Luis had jumped into. So it's kind of like, you know, a ledge and then a water, what I'm imagining is like a water channel and like a drainage area. Okay. Yeah. And it didn't have a ton of water in it, but it definitely had water. Okay. Now, a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. So, as a busy mom of three and a podcaster, it can be super difficult to focus on my day-to-day task. I can often snowball when I'm frustrated, and that never solves anything. I'm sure you can relate to that, right, Haley? Mm-hmm. Training your brain to stay positive and ignite those problem-solving skills can be challenging, but once you figure out how to find your own solutions to daily struggles, there's no better feeling. And sometimes that means reaching out for help. 
A therapist can help you become a better problem solver, making it easier to accomplish your goals, no matter how big or small. I am a huge believer that every single person could benefit from therapy, and that's why I'm so excited that today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. So I started going to therapy in college, and it changed my life, and I know that that sounds cliche, but it really is true. Not only did I learn that things I've struggled with my whole life are not my fault, but are part of my anxiety and OCD, but I've also learned with ways to cope with everyday feelings of anxiety to live a just calmer life. Since going to therapy, I feel so much more like myself, and it really has given me the confidence to face my anxiety head on and not let it run my life. And that way I can focus more on problems that need to be solved every day. I love that. Um, The scary part about therapy is that it can be intimidating to, number one, have to speak to a person because I most of the time hate that. Mm -hmm. And it can also be expensive, unfortunately. But BetterHelp is not only convenient, but it's affordable and it is an accessible option since it's completely online. With BetterHelp, you get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey. And if you don't jive with them, you can always switch at any time. I love it. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com inhuman today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash inhuman. So the firemen searching checked that area again, but found no signs of Luis. So the search ended for the night. But then three hours later, around 9 p.m., another call came in from an anonymous caller saying to search that area again. So firemen actually returned to search under the drift, and that's when they found Luis Colmenares' dead body. Oh my gosh. He was in basically a tunnel just 400 feet away from where Laura had claimed that Luis had jumped off after he ran away. And presumably this area was searched before, but we'll get a little more into that later. Okay. So Luis's body was taken to the Colombian National Legal Medicine Institute for an autopsy, and this autopsy determined that Luis had died from an accident. It reported that he had grade 3 alcohol intoxication, which would have strongly impaired him and could have led to an accident. Mm. His death was actually officially ruled a suicide because they believed from Laura's story that he like purposefully jumped off of that ledge. But isn't was and but there was water below it. There was water, yes. So okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But with that, the case was closed, his body was buried, and that was supposedly the end. But his mother, Oneda, was not convinced. Months, a few months after Luis's funeral, she claimed that she had a dream where Luis told her, quote, the truth lay in his body. And in her belief system, dreams are the way the dead communicate with the living. So she was convinced that Luis was trying to tell her something through this dream. So she actually had Luis's body exhumed for a second autopsy to take place. Wow. And they actually did it? Yep. Oh, my gosh. And I think a big part of that is because the culture there, Mm -hmm. this is what they all believe. So thankfully, like, they 
you know, more people believed her. It wasn't like people right. saw her as crazy for wanting to do this because of a dream. Right. It's, it's very common to believe that in their culture. So that's what they did. And they were okay with it. And they examined yeah. his body. And I mean, I think it's ordered... great. Yeah. No, it's awesome. And the family ordered an independent autopsy. This one was performed by Leslie Del Pilar Rodriguez at another institute. And this autopsy concluded that Luis had died of violent death. Mm, okay. There was then another autopsy done at this same institute by the institute's former director. And he concluded that Luis had eight wounds, none of which were compatible with a fall. So this was way more than the one blow that the initial autopsy had found and concluded that was from an accident. Right. So prosecutor Antonio Gonzalez began looking into the theory that Luis had not died by accident, but that his friends may have been involved in his death. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. So he was trying to get this to go to court, and I couldn't find the exact legal, like, what legally was happening but what i believe from my research is it's basically similar to like kind of a grand jury type of you know thing where you're trying to get it to go so that he can be charged like or that somebody can be charged yeah okay um i don't think there was actually a grand jury but it's like that type of process where it's something that happens before they can actually be indicted okay but those proceedings resulted in the murder theory being dismissed And after that, Prosecutor Gonzalez was found to be involved in a plot with a fake witness to accuse Luis's friends of being involved. So the murder theory was let go and Luis's death remained to be ruled an accident. But then, a year later, in October 2011, Laura Moreno and Jesse Quintero, the two people who were with him that night, were arrested and charged with perjury and covering a crime. What the hell? So this was seemingly out of nowhere, but according to the prosecutor, quote, there is strong evidence that allow them to infer that these two young women participated in the murder of Luis Andres Comenares. So the trial for Laura and Jesse's involvement began through the end of 2011 and beginning of 2012. On May 31st, 2012, the main prosecutor on the case, Antonio Gonzalez, was removed because he had frequent clashes with Laura's defense attorney, Jaime Gran- Granados. <laughs> so the new prosecutor was Martha Lucia Zamora, and Gon- Gonzalez at the time said he had full confidence in her ability to win the case. It was close to the end of the trial, and he was like, she got this. Like, we're good. Okay. And then on June 6, 2012, we got the first witness account from someone outside of the group of friends. Wilmer Ayola claimed that on the night of Luis's death, he saw a truck stopping in front of the park nearby where the water channel was. He said he saw Luis walk away from the truck with Laura following him, running after him and slapping him in the face. Mm. He then saw another friend, Carlos Cardenas, exit the truck and hit Luis in the head with a bottle. Damn. Luis fell over and Carlos and others then kicked Luis while he was on the ground. What? Why? We'll get to that. Okay. So uh, Wilmer Aola, the witness, then claimed that he saw the group like basically attempt to wake Luis up like 
they he had passed out from the attack. He had fallen unconscious. Yeah. Unconscious. Unconscious. Yes, unconscious. <laughs> I can't say that word. Unconscious. Hey, we all have our things. It's okay. <laughs> okay, you guys know what I mean. Um, yeah. But so they had like they were like trying to wake him up, but they were unable to do so. So the witness said that they carried Luis's body into the truck and drove away. Mm-hmm. Now Wilmer Aola claimed that he didn't come forward earlier because he had been threatened. So he claimed that a partner that was with him that night, who he only identified as Christian, had disappeared. And Aola claimed that Carlos Cardenas had offered Christian a million pesos, which is equivalent to about 500 U.S. dollars, in exchange for Christian and Aola's silence. Hmm. And Aola claimed he did receive part of this money. Oh, that's not good for him. But Aola had finally decided to come forward. And that same day, Carlos Cardenas was arrested and charged with aggravated homicide. After his arrest, Carlos claimed that he was falsely accused because people were interesting in damaging his reputation and the well-being of his family. Several of the members of this friend group were wealthy, you know, upper class. They had a lot of money. Their families were well-known. So this definitely could be the case. Okay. So after his arrest, Carlos's mother Maria hired a, a uh, an attorney named Ide Acevedo, and Maria specifically wanted the lawyer to press the director of the National Prosecution Office to change the prosecutor on the case to basically like change the course of the the case against Carlos. Mm, hate that. Yeah. Thankfully, the prosecution was able to intercept calls between Maria and the lawyer Ide to while they were discussing this and they were both eventually indicted on obstruction of justice. Good, they should be. Yeah. According to court documents, prosecutors also intercepted conversations between Carlos and Laura and these conversations they were talking about Carlos was talking about his family having an important contact in the attorney general's office so Laura should just keep calm about the charges hence why his mother likely did that now were they the only two that got charged with anything or did the rest of the friend group get charged since multiple only people? them and Jesse and Jesse okay. was charged of a lesser crime jesse was charged of um i don't remember exactly what it is i think i i mention it later but okay. she was charged with basically like not not coming forward whereas laura was charged with as an accessory to murder and carlos was charged with murder okay so after this more claims of threats came forward on june 14th jesse's attorney basically quit after claiming that he and his family had been threatened on social networks. Oh. Yeah. So the public was coming after them for representing Well, the it might have not been the public. It might have been someone else. Okay. I recently learned about the term microdosing as more and more people have been talking about it and microdosing daily to feel healthier and perform better. Yeah, I've been seeing a lot more people talk about it lately. Microdosing is used to help anxiety, encourage post-workout recovery. It is used to help you sleep and to help with pain management. 
It can be used in so many amazing ways, which is why I'm excited to share that today's episode is sponsored by Microdose Gummies. Yum. Microdose Gummies have the perfect entry-level dose of THC that can help you boost your wellness and decrease your anxiety. As you know, I'm a busy mom with my three young little babies and days can get really hectic and stressful and all of the things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've been loving using my microdose gummies to help reduce my anxiety on those hectic, crazy days. That's so nice that it can help you just calm down a little bit because I know how busy you are. Yeah. For me, I've been having the worst insomnia lately and nothing has been helping. I've tried all the things and nothing's helped. But taking microdose gummies has finally helped me get a better night's rest, which is so important because when you don't sleep, you just can't function. Right. The best part is microdose is available nationwide and you can get free shipping and a discount using our code. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code INHUMAN to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. And that link, as always, can be found in our show notes. Again, that's microdose.com and use the code INHUMAN for delicious gummies. (laughs) So on June 19th, 2012... The next big thing happened, and the prosecutor announced that Christian, the other witness who was with Willem Aola that night, was Mm -hmm. finally identified and found. They reported that he was looking for protection from the police against what? We don't know. (laughs) The police. (laughs) Yeah. But he claimed that he had taken pictures of Laura's truck at the park on the night of the attack. Okay. The next day, Jaime Granados, Carlos, and Laura's lawyer announced that he had found Willem Aola was at work the night of the events. Uh So he said that Aola worked as a security guard at a building that was pretty far from the park and that there were records that he was at work. So like no way he could have witnessed the crime. Right. Hmm. Right. And he was essentially accusing Aola of perjury. Dang. Okay. The day after this accusation, Willem Aola went on a radio show interview and he explained that that night he had ditched out on work and that he had returned at 5 a.m. to sign like the work record to make it look like he had been there all night, but he oh. actually wasn't. And did he have anything to corroborate that story? Corroborate that story? <laughs> he claimed he did, but either that was never brought forward or it was never reported on because I could not find what he had to corroborate it. Okay. So at this point, Carlos Cardenas family hired a new lawyer who was actually the former general attorney of Colombia. So they were like going all out. And then do you remember earlier when I said that the initial prosecutor on the case, Antonio Gonzalez was removed? Yeah. So in late 2012, the attorney general in Colombia came out and said that Gonzalez had been removed after pressure from defense lawyers. Okay. Yeah. So it was kind of like there was a lot going on with the legal entities in this case. Like a lot of stuff like under the table, behind the curtains type Exactly. Stuff. Right. Exactly. And that same day... 
the original defense lawyer for Carlos, Jaime Granados, claimed that Antonio Gonzalez had gotten rid of blood samples taken from Luis's body. What? No. And Jaime said, we don't know the reason for this. And Gonzalez came forward and said, this was just regular procedure. But Mm. clearly it wasn't. No. No. A prosecutor? No. Yeah, exactly. No. But still, the case against Laura, Jesse, and Carlos was continuing to build over the next year and a half. And I'm going to outline the prosecutor's indictment that they were trying to get. And this okay. comes directly from the 258-page court document that details both the prosecutor's and defense's indictments, testimony, cell phone record analysis, and more. It is translated from Spanish, so it's not perfect. <laughs> but, quote, number one. On October 30th, 2010, Luis Andres Colmenares left his house around 8.45 p.m. in company of his friends, and it names one friend who hasn't been named anywhere else, so I'm not going to name him, but there's one person named, and Laura Moreno, to go to a Halloween party at the Penthouse Club in Bogota. At around 2.30 a.m., Luis Andres left the club with his date, Laura, and with another friend, Jesse Quintero allegedly to eat a hot dog near the intersection of Calle 85 and Carrera 15. Number three, Luis disappeared shortly after. Number four, both Laura and Jesse claimed to authorities that Luis had fallen to the water canal near El Vire Park. Number five, in the early hours of the morning, firefighters searched for Luis Andres in said water canal but could not find him. It was Laura who pointed to the location where Luis had fallen. Number six, hours later, during the night, a second group of firefighters searched again, and this time they found the body of Luis Andres. Number seven, in a wiretapped phone call, Laura was heard saying, quote, I saw it. Jesse and I are the only witnesses. Jesse is my witness. Oh. Number eight, the witnesses made a pact of silence. Now this, this one for me, I'm like, okay, but but when did they make the pact of silence? Like, did you hear that? And if so, why didn't you quote that? But right. maybe that came out in the trial. I don't know. Okay. But that's the one to me that like doesn't, isn't like fact in this. Yeah. And same with the next one, number nine, Jesse Quintero hid the truth and backed the fall theory. Again, all we know is that Jesse backed the fall theory. We don't know for sure that she quote unquote hid the truth. Right. Number 10, Laura Moreno is intellectual co-author of the murder by not revealing the location of the victim. And co-authors like co-conspirator, like accessory to murder. Number 11, Jesse Quintero is charged with false testimony. Number 12, the body of Luis Andres Colmenares was found in the Vere Park water canal. The autopsy concluded the cause of death as the sum of trauma to the nervous system, trauma to the skull, and drowning. As per the prosecutor, it was a homicide. The skull had multiple fractures consistent with a beating. He was then hidden by his attackers in the water canal where he died. That's so sad. Yeah. So basically, the prosecution concluded that Luis had been beaten, causing multiple fractures to his skull. They thought that Laura's ex-boyfriend, who I could not find named, but I'm wondering if it was Carlos, Hmm. because they thought that maybe she could have been involved trying to protect Laura or angry that Luis and Laura were getting romantic. True. Again, that's not confirmed, but that was just my thought. Right. 
Prosecutors also basically theorized that the perpetrators had hidden Luis's body in the water canal, which led him to die by drowning after he lost consciousness after the attack. According to prosecutors, Laura Moreno and Jesse Quintero witnessed this, and by omitting this information to first responders, they became accessory to murder. Wow. They claimed that it was possible that Luis had been killed elsewhere or had been taken away and brought back between the two searches done by the firefighters, because if you recall, they searched the area where he was found just hours before they actually found his body. Right. And prosecutors claimed that Willem Aola and the witness named Christian had witnessed at least part of this. However, this all fell apart in October 2013. Oh, shit. On October 22nd, 2013, nearly two years after Luis's death, Will Mariola did an interview on the news. In that interview, he confessed that he had been paid to provide false testimony in support of the prosecution's murder theory. By whom? The prosecution? So at first, he claimed that Luis's father had been the one to pay him off, but Luis's father has continually denied this, and... In the interview, he also said that prosecutor Antonio Gonzalez was also involved, claiming that, quote, many people paid for this. Friends of Gonzalez, friends of the Colmenares family, every witness was on the payroll. Hmm. Okay. So with this, the prosecutor's entire case basically fell apart because they have pay- they had paid off at least one witness and supposedly more witnesses to back their murder theory damn yeah but the investigation into carlos laura and jesse's involvement was ongoing the the trial hadn't concluded okay that's good because i feel like there's something there you know yeah so then four years later we're jumping ahead four years to 2017 new analysis was done on luis's injuries And this analysis found that his injuries actually were consistent with a fall. This analysis said that the evidence of the quote-unquote beatings from the second independent autopsy was actually signs of tissue damage from the first autopsy. So basically the first autopsy had caused tissue damage and that tissue damage is what the second autopsy saw and was reported on recorded as being evidence of a beating okay well yeah and this new analysis also concluded that examination of luis's lungs showed that he had died by drowning oh that's so sad yeah this analysis also found that rainfall and water flow rates from the night that luis died could have carried his body from the drainage ditch to the tunnel where he was found So this was something that a lot of questions revolved around because it was like, how could he have fallen in the drainage ditch here but been found in the tunnel if somebody didn't move him? Right. But they were able to determine that the water flow rates and rainfall that had fallen around that time could have carried it. And they actually used test dummies to show that the flow was strong enough to carry a human body. Okay. And then it was revealed that the firemen searching the scene the first time had searched in the ditch, but not in the tunnel where he was actually found. I knew it. So they had basically searched where they where Laura had said he fell. Yeah. But 
they didn't search any further because they probably didn't think that he could be carried all the way down. Right. So this whole theory that he wasn't actually there or that he was dumped in the tunnel basically went out the window. So with all of this, on February 20th, 2017, Laura Moreno and Jesse Quintero were found not guilty of the crimes they had been charged with. Same with Carlos Cardenas. Wow. And Judge Paula Astrid Jimenez officially ruled Luis's death as an accident. The court found the defense's theory that Luis had accidentally fallen into the water canal and died after his head hit the ground to be true. Mm-hmm. So this was officially an accident, a very tragic accident. It's very possible that his friends have made, may have been able to save him, but they were not guilty of murder in the court's eyes. But to this day, the case remains officially open. The Colmenares family still believe Luis was murdered, and they appealed the 2017 ruling, and from what I could find, that appeal is still still pending. Okay. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, there is a Netflix show called Crime Diaries, A Night Out, which is inspired by this case. But that is the key word or words inspired Mm -hmm. by. Mm -hmm. So this series, from what I read, strongly suggests that foul play was involved. And I don't know. A small part of me does potentially think it could be foul play. But from what I read about the series, I don't think it did the entire facts of the case justice. Okay. On top of that, according to the Bogota Post, quote, the Colmenares family are dismayed with Netflix's intrusion in their grief, having no idea how their personal crisis would be portrayed on screen. That happens a lot, unfortunately. Yeah. So, I don't know. I may or may not watch the documentary. I feel like it's probably not going to be beneficial to learn anything new. And if the family wasn't happy with it, then I, I feel like I'm leaning towards not wanting to watch it. Yeah. But this case is just crazy because there were so many issues and things being hidden and, you mm-hmm. know, just issues with the whole Colombian legal system and right. lawyers getting fired and doing things that weren't legal and things like that, that it's so hard to know what what the truth is, what the actual, like, right. outcome of everything was. For me, the biggest thing is that if the the – analysis of Luis's body was done properly the fact that the it showed that the second autopsy was only reporting those injuries because they were tissue damage from the first autopsy that's rough it kind of throws everything out because then he really did just have you know one head injury and that could have lead led to him losing consciousness and drowning in the canal yeah my thing is like why was he why was he running? I don't know. Honestly, I think he was just like paranoid or anxious because he was drinking. And his friends did say like when they left the club, he was anxious and he walked away from them and they followed him and went and got food. So right. I feel like maybe he just like got anxious or paranoid and started running, tripped and fell, hit his head. Maybe his friends freaked out yeah. thinking he was dead. So they freaked out and left. But they might have been able to save him. I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. I I I feel like some like I said before, like something is there. We're missing something. Something is like I don't yeah. feel like it was just a straight up accident. I don't know. Yeah, 
I don't know. It There's a lot. And I also feel like there's maybe something about the state of, you know, the police and the legal system in Colombia that we just don't Sounds like a lot of know. corruption. Sounds like yeah, a lot of corruption. Yeah, like I wonder if they were afraid that the police would accuse them even if it was an accident. So that's why they ran away. Whereas if they would have just gone and checked on him and called 911 or whatever the equivalent is, yeah, he could have been saved, but they maybe thought he was dead and they were terrified. So that's why they like tried to hide. Yeah. But honestly, from their story, it seems to match up. And I don't know, when I went into this case, I really thought that they were guilty. But after doing all the research and learning about kind of the new analyses that happened in 2017, I'm leaning more towards them being innocent. I do think that they should have done something and not just left him there. Right. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of a conclusion, but not really. And it's so tragic that he passed away like that because whether it was an accident or he was murdered you know, he lost his life way too soon. Yeah. And and in such a terrible manner. I mean, drowning is gosh, that's like one of the worst ways to go, I feel like. Yeah. So his family is still fighting for justice for him. I will definitely keep you guys updated if anything with that appeal comes through or there is any development. Yeah. But Luis is remembered as a vibrant, friendly young man and he just seemed like a really incredible person, and it just breaks. He had my a heart nice smile. He, I looked him up. Yeah. And he has like a nice big smile, and yeah, so sad. It's really heartbreaking. But join me in remembering Luis, and it just this case baffles me because I really, I really don't know what to think. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, for them to have gotten away, or not gotten away, but you know, not been convicted. I mean, there has to be substance there, but I also. Yeah, it just seems like too, I don't know, too much pointing in the opposite direction. Like even if they did damage him further during the autopsy, like that's yeah bad practice. That's in my yeah, opinion, that's, that's unprofessional. You know, like they should have yeah. took in or taken um, responsibility for that. Yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to know, and I'd love to hear if like we have any listeners from Colombia or who know more about this case. I'd love to know because I will admit I don't know a lot about the country. Um, I did some research on the legal system there, but couldn't really find any information about any corruption or anything like that. So I'd love to hear if anybody has input. And um, I have some Colombian friends I could ask. Okay, yeah, please do yeah. that. I'd be I'd be very interested to hear that. And I just I really hope that it's not corrupt. And it just was a lot of uh, like bad luck that all this stuff kept happening. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's too coincidental for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all I have for you guys today. Um, I hope you guys can join me in remembering Louise. And until next time. Keep it human. Bye.